Welcome to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, please follow, hit the like button, or any subscribes. It really helps us with the algorithms. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is produced by the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. All opinions are those of the speakers. We invite you to join us on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at SCGCPF for more fun. Now, let's get on with this installment of Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Well, we'd like to welcome you to the 31st uh, Santa Cruz Guitar Players podcast. Um, we have a non-guitar uh, player this this week. We have Tim Connell, um, amazing mandolinist. So uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of Tim here. He's a graduate of the New England Conservatory of Music uh, and virtuoso without question, 20 years professional performing experience. He's created a sophisticated and original global mandolin style, and especially the way he moves when he's on stage or around a microphone, which is my experience with him. But um, it's pretty amazing to watch. He's one of the uh, regarded as one of the top North American entrepreneurs of Brazilian choro. Choro, yeah. Choro and interpreter. interpreter. I'm not much of an entrepreneur. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Well, okay, yeah. So I'll make up some make some make make up my own words here a little bit. Um, <laughs> he's developed his own unique voice for the instrument, described in a recent Mandolin magazine cover story as fiery and energetic, soulful and evocative. I believe that to be true. Um, before COVID, Tim regularly toured Europe and North America in the international mandolin supergroup, the Gare Mandolin Orchestra, and he's been featured as guest artist at National Convention of the Classical Mandolin Society of America which was supposed to be in November and has now been moved. Yeah. He's been on the staff. Online. It's still going to happen online. Yeah, sure. there you go. He's been on the staff of the prestigious Mandolin Symposium for several years and performs and teaches all over the country, along with a new online course that Tim's doing right now, which we'll talk about a little later, which is really fantastic. Um, he's performed with almost every mandolinist out there, from David Grisman and Mike Marshall down to John Julian, and the list is pretty amazing. Um, he's a tremendous band leader with um, Rio Conbrio. Yeah, that's my that's, Portland group. Yeah, that's that, that that's a, a Brazilian charo group. Um, a 30 swing era quartet Stumptown Swing, which yeah, has yeah. some really fantastic um, YouTube videos. Nice, nice. Uh, really good YouTube videos. And um, the world mandolin duo Mando Planet with guitarist Eric Sky. Yeah. Um, we we know Eric pretty well. Yeah, Mandolin uh, is a different project. That's with Jack Dwyer. So, but that one, that one, we haven't played that for a while. But there's a great CD that we did about Mandolin. Eric really? Sky, we just called Tim Connell Eric Sky. Yeah, yeah. A, a, June Apple. Yep. That June. is it. We uh, nine CDs to your credit. Yeah. Along yeah. with Mandolone, which um, I have a copy of, um, and it stays in the car. It's really great for oh, the CD. Stay great for the CD player in the car. Um, Tad, welcome him in. Yes, yes, welcome. Good to see you, Tad. Thank you, Richard. Good to see you too, Tad. It is wonderful to see you. That so I will I will disclose right up front that I first met you uh, when I had you and Eric Sky come down and play uh, a concert at a little wine shop in the building I have. Right. Uh, 
and I was blown away. Um, I knew Eric is a guitar player, which is why I had uh, reached out to him and said, hey, what would it take to get you down here to do a show? And uh, he was very happy to do it and, and really happy to bring you along. And it was a wonderful event. Uh, beautiful. But uh, that was literally, literally a wine shop just for the listeners. Yeah. You know, that was over everywhere. You cleared some space. It was really nice. Really. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. over 10 years ago. Sure was. Yeah. Time <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, you've gone on to become a much better mandolinist, and, and I'm still a sucking guitar. Know. I was watching those videos before, just thinking about you, and man, there was a lot dialed in there, and some of it was a little, I don't know, sharper edge than how I feel now. <laughs> of course, I've been out of practice. I haven't done anything for like two years, like it's or a year and a half, I guess now. Yeah. So, so you're not doing Almond Brothers and... Uh... Yeah, haven't been in those situations where someone tells me to keep soloing for like four minutes. <laughs> keep going. Yeah, play another, Tim. Like, yeah, I haven't been in that situation. Eric, we're talking about Eric Sky. We, he definitely likes to, you know, when you take a solo, it's not just one chorus of whatever song you're playing. It can be yeah, seven, yeah. eight sometimes. So. Yeah, got to have the dance mix. <clears throat> yeah, that was good times, yeah. So, yeah, I've definitely been working in that vein for ever since that that night, you know. So, where so did you grow up? Um, where did I grow up? Philadelphia. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I was born in Boston when my dad was up there in college, and uh, I guess he got a job in Philadelphia when I was two. So, spent my formative years in uh, Philadelphia. Went to St. Joseph's Prep uh, High School in downtown North Philadelphia. I, uh, it's a great, that's a really fun town. A really interesting. Yeah, it was cool growing up. I mean, I was, it was really Philly. We went to Philly's games all the time. My dad was like a sports fanatic, still is. Uh -huh. uh, you know, 76ers when we can get tickets. And it was, you know, the gritty, sporty, or Philly urban experience. Yeah. <laughs> in the 80s, that place was a mess in the 80s, too. It was then yeah, still it, financially depressed, I think. How did, um, how'd you get started with music? Yeah. Well, uh, when I was six or seven, I guess, uh, when my mom growing up always had her old piano. When she was a child, she had taken piano lessons, you know, not in any serious way, but enough so that she kept the piano and the bench full of sheet music that she had from her lessons. Um, you know, it was classical piano repertoire and exercises. And that was in the house where I grew up. So, you know, we'd always dink around on the piano. And I remember in second grade at school, the teacher, like we had music class and he drew the staff on the board with the treble clef and explained these are notes. And like, he played them on the piano, like C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, like played the C major scale and showed us there they are. And I was like, ah, my mom's got that stuff in the piano bench right next to the piano. So I just went home and tried to figure out where the, and he made a big deal about middle C, like the line in it. So I was like, I'm going to go find every middle C and like, play that note because I know where it is now. So my parents saw me investigating her sheet music like this at age seven or six, whatever it was. And, um, you know, got me the lessons with the local woman down the street who taught piano lessons in my town. And her name was Robin Spencer. So I'll talk about her later. She, uh, so they were supportive. Yeah, they saw that you know, I was interested and the first thing they did was got me weekly lessons that during the school year I had summers off, but it was really serious. It was like a commitment, you know, it was classical piano study. And I took to it like seven to 12. I quit because of peer pressure, honestly, in middle school with like sports and 
you know, no one was taking piano lessons. And so, but between seven and 12, I was like pretty serious music student, um, you know, part-time. My parents didn't know much about it except the annual recital, but Mrs. Spencer set me on theory and, you know, really intense repertoire early on. Wow. I owe like what I know about music theory that helps me learn, you know, lots of styles and have a good ear. It really formed there in those lessons before I was 12. Nice. Like most of it, all the, all the rest I, I did, did all myself. I didn't really have formal training after that. Wow. So at what point did you move from piano to mandolin? Um, well, when I quit piano at 12, I picked up the guitar that my sister had taken lessons for like five minutes or whatever before she quit. I grabbed that guitar from under her bed and it had Alfred's Guitar Method book one, this like, you know, really dry, straightforward classical guitar method. And uh, I don't know, I, I already knew how to read music. I knew how to play music on the piano. So I just figured out it was pretty quick study to teach myself, hmm. you know, how to play those same notes on the guitar. And so I worked through Alfred Guitar Book One and Alfred Guitar Book Two, which, you know, taught like the E string, FG, one note at a time until you got all your notes and taught like how to read. No tablature, by the way, no chord diagrams, all like notes on a staff. So that's how I learned guitar. Uh, you know, and then after, by the time I was in high school, I was not doing classical guitar on my own. I was learning rock songs and, you know, just putting it all together and realizing I could learn songs by ear because I knew what key they were in and I understood how the chords in the key worked. I knew all my chords. First of all, I knew every arpeggio, like what notes are in every chord. So come high school, it was just like guitar and a lot of school stuff too. I did, um, you know, I was in the jazz band playing the bass, electric bass, so like doing these big band arrangements and things like Watermelon Man, I remember from, uh, I didn't know who Herbie Hancock was at that time, but I know we played the Watermelon Man in sophomore year. Um, so that wasn't very like educational though. I would just come and read charts and I learned how to read bass charts. I don't remember the teacher really ever teaching anything except just he was standing there conducting the band. And then musical theater, we did three musicals a year at my high school, which was pretty rare. And uh, we were the band. We didn't hire outside musicians, so it was all students. And I ended up directing that band by senior year. Wow, nice. So yeah, like, you know, music and old musicals from the, you know, 30s and stuff, a few Sondheim musicals, like more experimental ones. And mm -hmm. yeah, like, so there was always like a musical going on, a jazz band set of repertoire. Then I got in a few rock bands, of course. I, had one I was going to say, is, is did you play outside of school? Yeah, like uh, my friend, I still am friends with this guy. We've collaborated through our lives, Tony Bonsera, Anthony Bonsera Jr. And he was, you know, in my school and was really good. He was my original uh, teacher, I guess, and mentor. He was younger than me. But, um, man this guy's ears and like knowledge of music are way more authentic than mine and way more comprehensive so he could always hear every harmony like he could sing four parts of a barbershop quartet just out of the blue like on his own wow yeah just, he'd hear parts he just knew how it all worked in a way that i was always playing catch up so i owe a lot to tony but we had a band called Daskabate. we both took german so we called our band after a we named it in a German name. <laughs> we took German like in high school as a class. That was our <laughs> language. So yeah, Daskabate was like my rock band thing. So I wow. was always busy with music in like school. Um, uh -huh. And so 
that was from there you went to the conservatory no i went to regular college and studied german oh. in boston college um played in the jazz band there um played a few like you know theater professional theater gigs at regional you know places and high schools and things like that but no professional study and um but uh I was always practicing. I guess by that point, I was really into songs. I was learning rock songs. I was learning to sing them. So a lot of chord progressions on the guitar and piano and more like a rhythm section guy. And then, so not melody is what I'm saying. I, now I play melody on mandolin mostly. The melody started really with um, the Irish music. I got into Irish music at Boston College because there was a really serious scene for Irish music. Um, the young, really good players who'd grown up playing in Ireland were all immigrating at that time to Boston and New York and such. So Boston had some really virtuosic uh, young Irish music players <clears throat> playing in the pubs and hanging out. And I hooked up with a teacher, this foreign student from um, exchange student from Ireland who was studying Irish music at my college. She taught a tin whistle class every Tuesday night. So she's a really important teacher to me, Maeve Neforan and every Tuesday I was with her and it was cool because she taught totally by ear. So I had to bring a cassette recorder, like a little Walkman thing with a record button. And she wouldn't let me write down anything on pieces of paper, like no clue, you know, cue. And she'd teach it line by line. She'd play the whole song slowly. She'd do all her cool Irish ornaments and the whole groove. She'd make it sound great. And then she'd just teach us in class, like note by note, line by line. And then I'd have the tape to go home and practice. So it was, a great education because like my ear was not good um, i realized <laughs> when i started this and um it got good by having to learn all these melodies that to our ears outside most of them sound the same you know major minor but most of them you hear 20 irish tunes they all sound the same but they're not they have little teeny rules almost so it was cool to figure out like i got it to where i could learn a new irish tune really quickly um, but it's like the nuances of a foreign language. It's, uh, you know. And imagine you have like help, you have, you know, you can write out the words, you can figure out like, you know, you know, remind yourself of like a big sentence or something, but doing it orally is just totally, you're on your own. So I had to develop some skills to organize uh, how to learn these things. Plus new instrument, Irish tin whistle is no messing around once you get into the ornamentation and the groove when you play those tunes up to speed, so. It was my first taste of like really working on something that was to my ears really amazing like it was virtuosic it was not me but like the people i was emulating sure, sure. and your yeah. first tin instrument what's that my your first, first tin instrument my first tin instrument yeah <laughs> last it was serious though this irish thing i mean i really i was still doing bass gigs and playing in rock bands um this is like after i graduated boston college but um i was spending all my time listening to the whistle tapes and to yeah she was taking me to sessions at that point too so i'd record the session the jam session at the pub and you know learn tunes that popped up every week and i had friends too we were all learning these things we were all americans mad about irish music and trying to accumulate all the tunes and play well you know so you were earning a living at this uh, at some point that had to have come up that uh you needed to make a choice. Yeah, I was supporting this uh, whistle habit um, after college with temp jobs. I was doing like office temping, like data entry and, you know, I don't know what they word processing, they just typing basically. So, you yeah. know, I was living low and just hanging out with a lot of other musicians who were living low and, you know, 
renting rooms for fairly cheap in Boston. So I got by and really wasn't thinking about the future at all. And I certainly wasn't making a living playing music. Um, I was doing some gigs though. I had more and more theater gigs at that time. I was playing hmm. great theater groups in Boston, as well as the right. regional things and the high schools and colleges. Uh, bass always, I'd bring my bass. So I had like the whistle by day and bass by night. I don't know, it was like the double one. <laughs> Uh, I, I love the bass gigs. I loved, you know, like originally you asked about like when I thought I'd be a musician or make a living. When I was a kid, I really thought the coolest job ever would be to play bass in a theater pit because I loved it. It's what I did. I'd play keyboards or bass. I'd direct the band, you know, work with the actors. And I just thought there's a real job. Like, and I'm, I totally am learning how to read these charts. Like we've read professional charts. When you do a theater show, you get the actual, you know, charts that the orchestra used in New York. I don't know. And I got really good at it in Boston. It was, I was very dependable, you know, pit bass player, but I was fascinated with Irish music and there's, you know, there's not really a living for that. Even if you, if I had gone to New York or LA, you know, did the theater pit thing or the movie thing, you know, the competition's fierce and it's, you know, now that I know what the life is like in 2021, it wouldn't have worked no matter what. That thing is sealed up getting into those scenes. It's really tough. Yeah, yeah. it's much smaller. There's hardly any classical yeah, in LA. They outsourced it to um, Eastern Europe years ago. Yeah, there, there's just no jobs. Yeah, my buddy Tony Bonsera actually went that route and he did everything right, you know, to climb up the LA session movie soundtrack scene. And it's just, there's a ceiling now. It's, it's really discouraging. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm glad I didn't do that, but I always did love, I, the idea to me was to be an anonymous local professional musician, you know, like doing a job and, you know, going and reading the chart in the theater. I wasn't really thinking like, you know, like personality so much as just an expert, you know, but yeah, that doesn't really exist anymore. So that's, there's more pie in the sky. It, so you've got, I was gonna say, you've got bass, guitar, keyboard, and tin whistle down. Um, yeah. That's when when did mandolin come into the mix? Oh yeah, mandolin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it was when I was playing Irish music. Tenor banjo is this thing in Irish music. It's you know not the five string you know bluegrass banjo, but tenor banjo, four strings. And when you play Irish music, you tune it an octave below mandolin. So this tenor banjo had the same exact fingering, in other words, as or sorry, as mandolin. And I found a mandolin for like 70 bucks one time in a music store. And I was aware if I learn how to play this thing and learn the Irish tunes on it, I can play tenor banjo. So I said, what the heck? I'm learning like hundreds of tunes on the whistle anyway. I might as well. I know how to pick. I get the idea. I had learned a few on guitar, actually. Getting ready for tenor banjo. I had like tuned one of my guitars to mandolin and learned two of my jigs on like on this weird fingering that I'd never played before because I was using the guitar and the bass. Yeah, it's all coming back to me now. So I was like getting ready. I was thinking I can play, I can do these. I know these tunes, I can learn them on tenor banjo. All I have to learn is the fingering. And so that's it. Then I had a Kentucky mandolin for $70. Uh, and I played it for like a long time, actually. It was my main instrument for quite a while. It worked wow. pretty good. It wasn't a bad instrument, really. It, was, it sounded mm -hmm. like it did the trick. So at first, all I could do was about 40, 50 Irish tunes um, on the mandolin. Just, you know, I didn't know any chords. I didn't strum or anything too much. <clears throat> I just thought of it as a whistle, but, you know, with the guitar. Type. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, so when did you go to the conservatory? So this is like three, I had three years between college, college where I studied German and linguistics. And then I went and did a master's at New England Conservatory. So ah. yeah, yeah, it was getting pretty old office temping and like doing random, a whole bunch of random stuff. So I just, and I was already teaching a bit, students were coming to me. So I just thought what makes more sense than for me to get the teaching degree and go have a job like in a high school or middle school or even elementary school, um, you know, teaching music, I'll have summers off where I can still work on music. And, so I don't know, I just started poking around looking for a way to get a teaching license. And I had a friend who had been uh, at New England Conservatory with this uh, professor. He's this you know, revered professor in the field uh, back in the day. And they had contacted him to set up a new, brand new music education department at New England Conservatory. So this was a, and I knew this guy, so I was introduced and he was looking for people just like me to be a part of this program. So it was it was fortunate. I, I knew the right person and snuck into this really uh, elite music school without having to declare an instrument, which is what everyone at school that's what you ask. Like, what instrument are you? What are, you know? What do you do? And I had no answer. Really, I had no easy answer for that because I wasn't studying mandolin or bass. I wasn't you know in the jazz department. I was doing this master's in music ed and availing myself of everything else. I probably didn't do as well in the education courses as I could have, because I was just like a kid in a candy store. I was taking everything, <laughs> theory, just buffing up on classical theory, jazz theory was stuff I'd been doing on my own, but I finally got real education. Took all the ear training and soul fetch courses, just all the basics that I had missed along the way. Wow, wow, that's intense. So that's it, and I, did, I, got, I got out with a music ed degree, you know, master's music ed and certification. So ended up using that for 17 years full time in elementary school, you know, kindergarten through sixth grade. That was my wow. gig, you know, that's what the conservatory prepared me for. That's amazing. Yeah. I think it's amazing. You didn't have to declare an instrument. Yeah, it was cool. It made for really awkward conversations. So often I just, I should have gotten a pat answer. <laughs> it was cool though. Cause like I've been, a lot of ways, like I knew more about music than in, as a whole than some students. If you just come out of high school, a lot of my friends were undergrads. They were 18 years old and had only done classical violin. So they didn't know what an chord was. They didn't know, you know, how to play chord changes or that, you know, had never thought that improvised or something like that. Um, even the jazz students, maybe they hadn't studied theory the way I had, had to get that. So it was interesting. I, I never felt insecure, really. And I got in the band leading mode because there was just amazing musicians who could read anything. So it was easy for me to say, Hey, you want to like get together and do this song or that song. Um, I don't, I never felt too insecure, honestly, from my experience, oh, even though I, I agree. was definitely not trained the way most of, they came trained already. A lot of them. It, 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 it's really fascinating because, you know, most of the people that we talk to or I listen to or are know are focused on an instrument. And you were focused on music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you you were just focused on music, it, exactly. it, 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 yeah. which is which is really kind of beautiful. Uh, and it, you can sure as tell how it opened you up to all these other influences. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you were just into the Irish stuff. That's that, that that's it. I went deep, and I was for a time. That's all I did. My nickname amongst friends was Tin Whistle Tim, just to distinguish me from like the other Tim. At the, you know, that's it's funny. Just that was the instrument, you know. 
it was, yeah, it was just an obsession, a passion. Like I know these people, I see them play. I know I can do that. I've learned the tunes. I understand rhythm. I understand how to, I have a teacher showing me exactly what the ornaments were. So, but then the hours, it's like an insane amount of hours. And I was, you know, I should have been providing for my future, honestly, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, it was fun. I used to go to the temp jobs, uh, with Tim whistles about that big, so it could fit in my pants pocket, like, you know, or dress pants and a shirt and a little tie. And I had this great, I remember one, I, I do this at several gigs, but one of them, all I had to do was have headphones on and do like processing these whatever mutual funds or something. And so I had the tunes I was learning the session on repeat. So I was like learning say 20 tunes. I was, all of them were in progress. So I'd get just all day listen, but it was cool. Like I'd always scope out the farthest away and most private bathroom in the place. And then I go there and like, you know, behind a stall, you can get the whistle in your tooth and you can hear it enough, but it's not making real noise. (laughs) It was safe in other words. So I could sneak off and practice for 10 minutes and then come back and listen to the tunes some more. So I don't know, beg, borrow, cheat and steal. I've never gotten paid to practice. So. Wow. There's only so many hours in a day. I was, I was temping 40 hours a week back then. This this was all. Pre 9-11 when you could bring a tin whistle into work. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds my friends used to laugh when they heard that. They were like, man, I, and they'd always picture me, of course, with my pants down if someone opened the thing. I'm like, no, I didn't put my pants down. I was just, you know, I was using the space. That's all. <laughs> uh, yeah, that didn't work with mandolin. You can't put a mandolin in your pocket. No way to fake it. Yep. Can't get one in there. Yeah, but, really you know, big baggy that's... pants. <laughs> that's really, you know, it's like smoking in the boys' room. You know, it, <laughs> it's just crazy. I mean, was... I don't know. you got to make time to practice, and there's money involved. So you know, you should do it when you're little. First of all, when you have school, and do that instead of the video games and TV. But once you're an adult, it's like. If you get the bug, you got to make time. There's just no getting around it. There's that's for students. They want to learn stuff right away. They figure I can just kind of explain it to them and they'll get it. But in my experience, I had to sweat for everything I know how to do. So, <laughs> this, this is this is really enlightening. I mean, it's so it, yeah. <laughs> from from let's see, classical training on keyboards to uh, to be classical a on guy in the bathroom. <laughs> Rock on bass and and show tunes and um, Irish tin whistle. I mean, and then 17 years teaching music to 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 children. I mean, that's that's just amazing. Um, Yeah, the teaching gigs where I developed my performance chops. By the way, I was really I am like pretty shy and not the person you see on stage is not who I was really at all. But I had to develop that. Because, you know, kindergartners, 30 kindergartners, half of them don't speak English. Like, Brutal. you know, you got to start putting on the show or you're going to lose that. It's dangerous when you lose that crowd. That's a bad crowd to lose. <laughs> <laughs> and no bouncers, right? No bouncers in sight. Like you. No your... security. <laughs> yeah, no security. Yeah, it's, it's rough. Man. No, no, no net. Um, mm-hmm. How? So. Where does the mandolin catch fire in all of this? Yeah, good question, Richard. Um, 
Yeah, so it was a lot of different music. Classic rock was always at the center, by the way, for me and my friend Tony. Um, but then the Broadway thing was a real thing. I mean, I loved this. I loved the job. I didn't listen to Broadway around the house. It, something about it. I just didn't like the way they presented it on those soundtrack recordings. Yeah. But I love going to shows. I love playing those shows. Um, you know, and that was related to jazz. Once you get up to New England Conservatory, Boston, everyone's playing jazz, like the people who've studied and everything. And so to me, it was a the thing in between, like instead of going and learning Sonny Rollins stuff or like John Coltrane, I was like, look, they're all playing these tunes that I know from the shows. So I found, you know, I started playing piano kind of schmaltzy lounge versions because it's easy. You take your time and, you know, hunt around for the notes you need. So yeah, I did that. What was the question? Mandolin. So anywho, I had all these different things going on. Um, on other instruments. And then I had only this one really narrow niche thing on the instrument I cared about, the tin whistle. And I don't know, I was just like toying it over. I, I was really into Django Reinhardt and Stefan Grappelli at that point too. I, I'd seen Stefan play twice before he died in Boston. Um, and I knew I'm like, mandolin is the same fingering as that violin that he plays. Um, and I was just thinking like, I could learn, like I know enough about these tunes on piano and like the theory and I love Stefan, like I'm sure I could figure this out, like, but I have to switch. So it was more just wanting to get the chops and my, my obsession with the whistle onto an instrument that would offer me all that music we just talked about, all the styles, not just Irish. So that was, it was a conscious decision, right? About 1998, maybe 99, to just focus on the mandolin and like, learn my chords first of all arpeggios as most teachers call them but learn you know on piano a chord is an arpeggio so first thing i did on mandolin was start figuring out where all the chords were meaning arpeggios not not three strings at a time it took me a long time to figure out the voicings that people put on diagrams because i had never thought that way um yeah you're thinking uh, about you're thinking about the notes you're thinking about yeah so i was really good at arpeggios i could play any chord all of them and um but actually chunking along and accompanying someone on three or four strings. I was bad at it when I hit my first Django jam. <laughs> the Django music helped. And then the Shoro, I got into this Brazilian music that I'm sure we'll talk about. So yeah, it was not so much catch and fire as like, I, I wanted to put that all the fire into one instrument and just, it was a conscious decision. So I still did bass gigs for sure, but I was really focused on the mandolin. Got it. Wow. That's it. And then once I hit the classroom, of course, I'm playing everything. I'm teaching, like learning a million songs to teach the kids. I accompany on piano, guitar, mandolin. Um, but just in my quiet time, then I didn't do gigs. I was really focused on the teaching. Um, I was just hunkered down, really figuring out the mandolin. Well, yeah, I'd say from 1999 to 2003, four. Well. That's you know, it was what I did when the door was closed on my classroom. I'd go and practice whatever I was working on. Oh. And were you playing out much? Were you, I mean, going out and, and in no. part of groups or anything? Or um, I moved to Portland, Oregon in 2001. So that stuff was Boston and Philly. My teaching was Philly. Um, okay. Four years in Philly? No. I mean, I really hunkered down and, and taught um, and led a pretty private life. The Irish music jams. I was going to these sessions all the time and deep into that. And more on tenor banjo at this point. I've gotten a tenor banjo. So, to, you know, to augment the mandolin thing. And I was certainly learning all the Irish music on mandolin. I went pretty deep into it, uh, the ornaments and the, the vibe. 
mm-hmm. but yeah. what was the question i'm sorry i don't want to get off track here um, no no you're, you're, you're yeah the, yeah the gigs playing out yeah i didn't really play out a whole lot i formed a little group with my brothers that we you know had some fun uh i did a theater gig here and there i was in a big band in philly where we had to wear uh tuxedos with red bow ties and cummerbunds so wow I had a red bow tie and cummerbund so every now and then i'd be at a social event or wedding or something like that with these old guys they were great <laughs> they, they were like guys who had played in their college and post-college experience in like the 50s or 40s and they'd been in jazz groups just like this one so we did like all the you know glenn miller duke ellington all these great old uh, big band arrangements and it was band. Cool. those dudes had really grown up playing that that was their music and it was a great experience tenor banjo sorry no i was bass in that group okay yeah bass so yeah that was probably the best band i was in as far as like you know bass jazz it was very traditional big band arrangements like but it was great i really enjoyed being a professional bass player <laughs> i never could find enough gigs i loved reading i loved getting to the gig and knowing i could read knowing i could hit every hit and that it was an expertise of sorts so, so- other than that though nothing i moved to portland and met some like uh rock band kind of guys that played the bars one fella had a lot of gigs he just could get a gig anytime so you know i did play frequently with that group and i was playing piano um more than mandolin because mandolin's pretty terrible in a you know rock band situation it's hard to amplify it (laughs) but that, that was you know other than that no i didn't reach out a whole lot until i got focused on the mandolin in 2005 2006 Okay. And I reached out to the Django uh, Reinhardt jam, the scene playing gypsy jazz, which there were quite a few jams in town uh, for that genre. I know that sounds hard to believe for people away from Portland and Seattle, but there's a lot of folks playing gypsy jazz up here. So interesting. Yeah, it's an easy, kind of like bluegrass. It's easy to get into if you're a guitarist. You can learn just the chord diagrams and a simple, you know, uh, strumming pattern. Right. So, So, you know, it's, I, I did know musicians that never bothered learning how to read music playing Django. You know, you could usually tell when they took a solo, it was something they learned from a, I don't know, tablature or something. It was exactly a Django solo, but you know, they, they couldn't really, but the, the point is that it's an easy thing, just like bluegrass to, you know, get a bunch of beginners into and get them up to speed pretty quickly. Nice. So that's my theory anyway, on why such a, I mean, this music's from so far away that it has a, you know, following here in the Northwest. Where does where, where where does Brazil come in? Mandolin, the the mandolin itself, um, and the whole mandolin thing that started this really started when I went to the mandolin symposium the first time in two thousand five. It was the second year they had done this uh, camp, more or less like a mandolin camp in uh, Santa Cruz University of Santa Cruz campus. Um, yeah, so when I went to this thing, it was run by David Grisman and Mike Marshall. Um, 200 students maybe the first couple of years, uh, maybe more. Um, yeah, but the idea was they'd get a staff of mandolin teachers. And by the third year, Mike Marshall was bringing up guys from Brazil who played Shoro mandolin, like the real deal. And up to that point, um, Mike and I both, we had heard Jacob de Mondelim, um, this this guy who recorded in the 50s and 60s. And that was our only knowledge of Shoro, honestly. We had this the um, two CDs that David Grisman released, actually. Mike had been listening to that in the tour van with David way back before he ever released it. So he got in early. But yeah, it was a revelation when we finally had real people, young people, 
our age, younger from Brazil who mm. were growing up playing this or who just got, you know, the bug and, you know, getting to live with them for a week and seeing the way they play, the way they, the, the whole thing, it just, to me, it was like the right music for me because it was on the mandolin. First of all, this is a mandolin is one of the main instruments in Choro. So these were folks who learned all these amazing melodies, could improvise like crazy. Their rhythm was insane. Like, you know, their knowledge of rhythmic syncopation and such. Um, I don't know, it just made sense to me. It was the same type of harmony and melody from like the show tunes, from like I'd done ragtime piano, like Scott Joplin stuff in my piano studies, like Bach. Like it, it was just like this music Shoro is, you know, regular classical music theory. Um, which makes it really hard for mandolin players who've just studied the bluegrass style where it's all just grids and stuff um there's not enough education to go and really do shoro correctly but for me it was like the natural thing i just i loved it it sounded so cool it was complicated enough harmonically and it had this rhythm thing that i you know it was challenging to me it's definitely a challenge to it still is to figure out the intricacies of the samba rhythm Wow. It's meshed together. It's not as simple as our rhythms up here. I don't know. So yeah, that's how Brazil happened. I, you know, Mike Marshall originally just had a jam, you know, reading the tunes and I found it really easy to read these things. It's just lead sheets. I knew all the chords, the melody notes kept matching the chords like crazy. They're really arpeggiated tunes. Um, I don't know. I just, I thought it was the coolest thing. I thought Mike Marshall was the coolest thing too. I mean, I still do. So he was just, the right kind of musician. I said, I want to be like that guy. He can play everything because he knows all the harmony. He knows all the rhythm. He's got ears like crazy. He's just, so yeah, Shoro happened right when I met Mike Marshall. Really interesting. Yeah. Though I'd been listening to that stuff for ages. I had bought the two CDs, their cassettes, I should say, that David Grisman put out in 96, like 10 years I've been listening to this stuff just casually and hadn't learned it at all. Cause it was, I don't know, it was seemed impenetrable at the time until hmm. people who knew how to play it. And, and, and that's just so interesting because it, 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 you were waiting for this, like the universe was waiting to open up the door for you because the rest of music you just attacked. Yeah. And, and this, and this, and this was like, you, you needed the door. That's, that's really great, Tim. It was interesting. Yeah, just I'd always, first of all, really under respected myself. I always figured I wasn't as good as everyone else. So like, I'd always come to things saying, I don't know, how am I going to do that? But that was one of those moments where I thought, look, I spent all that time training my ear for Irish music for the, the quirks, the idiosyncrasies, the ornaments. And then I had all the theory stuff like on autopilot, deep background, I had all the whole chord progression, nothing in Shoro was really too threatening or foreign to me, um, harmonically. So I don't know. Yeah. Once I started learning it, I'm like, this is like fun. It's difficult, but I, I know exactly what to do to get to the point where I can play it like these folks. And I took lessons too. I took, you know, a lesson here and there by Skype. And then when people would come live, I'd try to sit and record the lesson, you know, mainly rhythmic stuff. Just, you know, I'm, I know how to play the notes. What do you really do here? Yeah, sure. Yeah. These guys, by the way, they, they have names. One of them is Danilo Britu, and he was the most gracious, generous. He was probably 19 or 20 when he got there. And, you know, the, the peak, the guy who's the most like Jacob de Bondoline in Brazil, like by far and technique wise, just insane, but just a gracious young man who took me under his wing and always was there, like pretty stern, but like showed me what was right and what wasn't right. 
great guy. So Danilo Britu, if you want to check him out. Um, and then Dudu Maya was the other guy who came up, Eduardo, but Dudu is a nickname, kind of like Eddie. Uh, <laughs> so, and he's, he's a young guy. He grown up, uh, partly in Miami and partly in Brazil. Um, and a deadhead like crazy, loved the Grateful Dead and got into Shoro later in life, the mandolin and really applied himself to Shoro. Um, and his teacher was Hamilton Giolanda, Hamilton de Holanda, it looked like in English. And uh, Hamilton came two years as well, and he's wow. just a ridiculous star. He's like a, on a Bella Fleck level, maybe, of wow. you know, fame for being a virtuoso at the instrument. Wow. So, so have you ever had a chance to actually go to Brazil? And yeah, you know, it's crazy. I ended up hosting all those guys here in Portland. I had, except for Hamilton, I had everyone up here at some point and helped them out with the concerts and you know, let them stay at my place. Um, so yeah, I have a lot of good karma when I do end up in Brazil. <laughs> the Portland connection. Yeah, it was good. I brought a lot of really excellent Brazilian musicians through here to play at house concerts and little, you know, events, you know, uh, concert ticketed shows too. Yeah. What, uh, what was the best musical advice you ever got? I wrote this one down. Hold on a sec here. Good. Oh, yeah. From Wynton Marsalis, not personally, but at a workshop at New England Conservatory. We had insane workshops there, by the way. Yeah. Right after lunch, before your afternoon theory class, Wynton Marsalis is in this room, like this little room. So anywho, he said, learn to sing. Learn to sing and sing all the time. Learn to sing and train your voice so that when you hear something, you sing it back. Hmm. Um, he was speaking as it was an improvisation workshop. So he was, this was advice for improvisers. But, you know, that's good advice for anyone, honestly. Sure. So, and I, I did, I, you know, I didn't take lessons so much as I was just like conscious of, you know, if I really want to learn this tune, I should sing it first. And eventually I did. A few years back, I got good vocal lessons, uh, worked on my technique so that my pitch matching my ear became nothing, like it was all good. Um, and I noticed as soon as I did that, as soon as I was feeling more confident with being able to match pitch and reproduce pitch here faithfully, that my, my playing became a lot easier, a lot more fluent. I could learn stuff easier. Um, so that that's great advice that I, if I had skipped that workshop that day. Wow. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's yeah. right. I mean, it's really, it seems crazy you're singing, but it really, when you get confident at matching pitch, you can practice things in your head anywhere for one thing. And plus you really know it, it's, it's authentic at that point. And at first, I mean, honestly, if you are learning a hard melody that you can just, you know, press frets and it does the job, you might be shocked at how bad you are at singing it. <laughs> well, I was, I was like terrible at finding these notes. So it made the whole scale and the chords that are formed from the scale much more clear in my head. That's uh, Bobby McFerrin. Like, I mean, Bobby McFerrin's like, he doesn't have to worry about where to put his fingers, and it's all right there, perfect. Like, he's got whatever he does with these muscles. Man, the whole piano range is like dialed in, absolutely perfect. Hmm. And I always thought that would be, that's a good musician. Like, and he is. I mean, this guy's like a genius, Bobby McFerrin. But like, to have that level of ear control and make anything you want at any time, that's always been a guiding force. That's interesting because it's, it's, there's so many really good singers who are really bad musicians. Uh, mm -hmm. 
but I guess it's interesting to take the approach to be a really good musician and then make sure that you can sing. Uh, yeah, I mean, improvising especially. If you're going to be making up melodies, you have to have an idea of what they are or else it just becomes uh, routine, little patterns, ruts that you're used to on whatever instrument you play. That's... Eric says that too. He he says. Hold on one second. I actually have a doorbell. I think it's delivery, but I need to make sure it's not my son. I, I barely ever buy like uh, guitar accessories, but uh, I, I I don't know. I keep seeing the ad on Facebook the the bow that you can like put in between your strings to make it like a violin. Did you get one? Oh, yeah, I just got it. It's it's right there. So yeah, I can't wait. I can't. I, I I've been looking at it too. It's like seventy dollars though, and I went. Yeah. Yeah. I don't it. know if I want to spend seventy bucks on this thing, but. It's I don't know, really, but... it's really cool idea. Yeah, so, I mean, it sounded good on the little demonstration. I don't know if they cheated. I, I, I do. I have an Picasso. Ebook. Yeah, Turbo. the Picasso. Yeah, the Picasso. one thing I wasn't sure is if it's going to fit in between the strings on mandolin. So we'll see. Well, let's, find it. Let, let's do an impromptu video here. I mean, no, we're not. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's going to be. I, I want to do this right. I want to do yeah. the unboxing well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I tend to be terrible at reading directions and like getting ahead of myself. So yeah, 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 I know yeah, it's yeah. best to like clear some time. Yeah. I, 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 I have, I have an Ebo that, um, that mm -hmm. is kind of an interesting little, little toy, you know, just along that for slide, especially. It's a nice. really, really, really fantastic thing. The conservatory experience sounds pretty good. But any real specific gigs that stick out in your mind or any really things like that that just... Yeah, a couple. I mean, it's, let's start with conservatory. I haven't talked about it, but I really got serious about mandolin at the conservatory because I took a class called Yiddish Music Performance Styles, um, which I think the title sums it up. We learned klezmer music from Eastern Europe. And uh, <clears throat> we, we had to learn a song every week, like on our instrument. Oh. And it was, and so the teacher went through my instruments. I was a weirdo. I didn't have an instrument. So he was like, he heard mandolin and said, all right, that's, that's the instrument. That's a real klezmer instrument. So I dusted off my mandolin and I learned, you know, some tunes that didn't involve Irish music. So I had to learn the other frets. And uh, I was also deciding like, I better learn some techniques. So they had a good mandolin teacher at New England Conservatory. And I, his name's Robert Sullivan. He was the classical guitar chair, but he taught mandolin as needed. And he was actually really into classical mandolin. He had, you know, gone through all the old theory books or, or sorry, method books from the 1800s. He hooked me up with like the right way to hold a pick, things I'd never taken to guitar lessons. So I, you know, had a few things that were quirky. Um, and I was serious. I, for eight months, I just retrained my pick. I did all these classical exercises and, you know, it helped me be in this class with the virtuoso crazy musicians that I was, you know, learning the tunes with. So, sure. uh, what was that? So one gig, the gig we did at the end of the class, um, he got his band, this professional band called the Klezmer Conservatory Band. So any Klezmer fans I know, know this band. And we did a double bill with them, the students and the, the band. And it was like a chance to play with professionals, first of all, and really work on stuff. This guy was a great band leader, teacher. Um, Hank Isnetsky, by the way, is, is the fella. And uh, so that's one great gig. Uh, the Gare Mandolin that you mentioned at the front, um, that was definitely the tour of Poland just will always stand out as the best thing ever. Um, this, this band is uh, a tribute to an actual old Eastern European mandolin orchestra, you know, an unknown local small town community orchestra. 
uh, from the town of Ger, G-E-R. In Polish, it's called Gora Kalvaria, but uh, the Jewish name was Ger. Gora Kalvaria means Mount uh, Calvary, Cat Calvary, whatever that Bible thing is. So anywho, um, this guy who's my age, uh, who lives down in the Bay Area, uh, Opner, you and I, was looking for his roots. His grandfather had emigrated from Poland to Israel, where he grew up. And uh, he found in his travels, he went over to this town that, you know, had been half Jewish. It was 7,000 people. So like 3,500 people were Jewish before the Holocaust. And uh, there was two Jewish people left when we got there, when he got there, um, who had come back, I guess. Um, so, but in his um, research there, someone showed him a photo of a mandolin orchestra, you know, classic, like somber dudes in suits, all posed the same way with their instruments, 11 people. And, uh, you know, the guy holding the guitar was the grandfather of this friend of mine. Hmm. So, Avner decided to do this crazy thing where um, he did a living tribute, like a living memorial to this old band that his grandfather had been a part of. Uh, oh, cool. And only two, I think two or three only had survived from this band, by the way, that when the Holocaust happened. So that's what he did. He put the word out and said, I want 11 mandolin players who can play Jewish music and play whatever, you know, figure out what they would have been playing in this band. So all of this happened. Mike Marshall was the guy um, right where you are, Tad, in, in Oakland. Like, you know, he got in touch with the Oakland Jewish Center and then, uh, or Berkeley, I should say. And then they found Mike Marshall and he got in touch with all of us. Wow. So this guy's dream came true. He had a living tribute. We did it the first time at the Freight Salvage uh, Club in a venue in uh, Berkeley, California. Mm -hmm. And we filmed it, sent a little note to the mayor of, of Gora Calvaria, Gare himself, this little town. And he said, we want you to come and play here. Like, let's find a way. So he got in touch with the local Jewish music festival in Warsaw. And that was, I guess, how it happened. All I know is I ended up on stage with like Radim Zenkel and Mike Marshall and Brian Oberlin, and Eric Stein, like uh, Avi Avital was on that tour the first time, like crazy mandolin players. And I was a part of this amazing project. Hmm. We played the old synagogue, like the shul in, in Gare that had not been used since pre-Holocaust. It was just a wow, pretty funky wow. building. I mean, it was in some disrepair, um, but they dressed it up nicely with lights and everything. And it was quite an event. You That's know, we had to go to the city hall. We had to sit through the mayor doing this thing about, you know, kind of apologizing for the Holocaust and all that, you know, getting the conversation started, but it was, it was intense. And then we played the synagogue in Warsaw as part of the festival. We ended up on stage as part of this play, like as in the play that at the end of it, a way to get all the groups who had come to this Jewish music festival, they pretended it was the wedding and, you know, they bring in each group to play one song. So they just a funny video out there of, you know, all of us on stage wearing yarmulkes and like part of this ridiculous stage production. So we got a little roped into that. That whole week was just the best week ever, honestly, Karen Mandolin. I wish we could do it more often. Wow. That's amazing. That's yeah. just, a sorry, I'm going on and on. So that was, no, it's, no, 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 it's, 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 it's what we hope for. Yeah, yeah, so we ended up doing Toronto, we did New York City, we did LA, um, we were scheduled for the Savannah Music Festival, which is a really great, big, huge music festival every year um, for March, or sorry, April 2020, and of course mm -hmm. it got cancelled. So, well, you know, it's still around, we're just infrequent because it's an expensive thing to get 11 mandolin players flying somewhere and staying in a hotel and whatnot. So, yeah. What's, I have a few other gigs, gigs. I wrote these down, actually. Where were oh, we? Oh, good. Where was it? Uh, 
thought it was a great question. We might have a pop in here from uh, from the puppy. Ah, cool. Where did I put the gigs, man? So, Gare, I, I remember though, Gare. Uh... Oh, you asked about recordings too. I wanted the recording yeah. of Eric June Apple was one of those special things too. That was like, it's a it's a mandolin guitar duet, and um, even though Eric and I played jazz mostly. Uh, improvisatory jazz he got on this fiddle tunes kick like you know appalachian fiddle tunes on guitar and i knew a bunch of them so we started playing fiddle tunes together and he decided our album should be fiddle tunes not jazz i was like oh. i don't know i wasn't <laughs> too sold on that because i being a mandolin player i a lot of my colleagues really play bluegrass like for real um, and they play these things in a certain way you know and certain speed so i was I was hesitant until Eric said, no, man, I don't want to do them like that. I want, I want you to be you playing fiddle tunes. And so he was a producer of this album in a way, uh, just shaping what the, the vibe was going to be, what the whole point was. Um, so it's a lot of slow fiddle tunes. If you're a bluegrass fiddle tune person used to like super fast Cherokee shuffle, you know, be prepared to slow down a bit when you listen to June Apple. <laughs> yeah, it's uh -huh. an amazing. CD and we'll make sure that there are links to all this stuff, you know, oh, cool. yeah. part of the, uh, the podcast. And you know, this will be on, you know, Apple Podcasts. It'll be on YouTube. It'll be on SoundCloud. And we'll have links on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum and other places. So people need to check this stuff out. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, I'm blown away. I mean, I knew about the Gur Orchestra and I knew about a few of these things, but uh, wow, I'm. <laughs> Oh, hey, that, <laughs> thanks man it's fun to talk this is great i've just had my head down with this like lesson site so it's nice to reflect on pre-pandemic stuff let's uh let's talk about a little bit about the lesson site um yeah and and, and i'll and i'll and i'll and i'll i'll jump right in and, and say that i'm a i'm a i'm a member of 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 this because having worked with tim and eric on the june apple videos Mm -hmm. I realized that this guy was the mandolin player that I wanted to learn from. Oh, thanks, Richard. And uh, I went through a whole bunch of them. You know, I went through the, I went through the traditional people, and I went through that, and I went through a bunch of different places. But I, I just finally had to get my nerve up and and not embarrass myself and say, Tim, would you do private lessons? Mm -hmm. And he said, Well, I'm not really doing them right now, <laughs> which. You know, it took me five years to get up my nerve to ask, and then not and totally then, true. I am not, still, not totally like, true. Yes, still yes. doing private lessons, but just you have to join the website so you have all the materials. That's right. Uh, and I just sat through my first class last night, um, and I had having had hand surgery last Thursday. Mm -hmm. I held out for the whole hour, nice. and uh, I was, I was, I was, I was. I was really impressed with the way it ran. So talk a little bit about the procedure and, and, and how it's set up and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I'm teaching full time right now. The pandemic, that's all I did. I maybe did five gigs the whole time since March 2020. And um, of course, I was just following the usual model of I have private students. I put something on Facebook every now and then and people email me. They see a YouTube or something. And, you know, that's I'd get students when they came and um, would only teach, you know, like four lessons, charge whatever and be done. So um, it wasn't working because, you know, you'd have a bunch of students now and suddenly they'd all cancel or quit and fade off. So it was an unsteady thing, no matter how much I tried to market and 
how much my name was out there. Um, so, you know, financially it wasn't great and it was, it was getting pretty stressful. This is without the gigs too, um, the whole pandemic thing. And I just started looking around and thinking, because I know Don Julian, he's a friend of mine, partner. He established this site that's the video archive model. Uh, most mandolin students out there are pretty aware. They know you can go to Artist Works and study with Mike Marshall or Peghead Nation. I'm sure uh, Taya talked about it last time. Um, you know, the model of there's a whole bunch of videos that have PDF of like the sheet music or whatever notes you need. It's, it's like a, you know, a, online music book with video support, just where everything's there and you can work your way through lessons. Um, just not being a tech guy, I never considered this. I was, you know, I contributed to Don's site. I would have gladly contributed to Peghead, but you know, it just wasn't happening. And I just thought, what if I do this myself the way Don Jula did? Um, it'd be way better. I have all these videos. I don't have to keep saying the same thing in private lessons. Um, yeah, and I went looking around, just researching sites, and in my research, I found a classical guitar site that was amazing, like over the top, good, like killer marketing, killer, just everything, the whole deal. And I look, and it's a friend of mine that I had played with in Portland for you know many years, classical guitarist. We we played Fado music together. So there's a Fado singer in Portland, so he was the guitar player. I was Portuguese guitar, like that I faked on an octave mandolin. <clears throat> Anyway, I'm like, how is this guy like in charge of the site? He was just a teacher like me and, you know, like a broke musician teaching out of the church basement in Portland. And so I, I reached out to him just like you. I was nervous, Richard. I was like, oh, I'm going to ask him for help. <laughs> and he was so happy to hear from me. Um, he lives in uh, Montenegro now. So we had like Skypes, and, you know, weird times a day. Um, and he's taken me under his wing, this Alan Matthews. Um, so he helped me just on a tech way of just getting this website set how to do it he's you know how to market it and everything and he's a lot of steps ahead of me he's got you know eight nine years on this and really has an amazing site so he's just been helping me uh start like open this thing up and get it open for business before it's all perfect and you know helping me with like hiring people knowing what jobs to hire and stuff just to make this thing work uh, so Alan Matthews, just that call, I reached out and said, I need to do this. It's time. I need to get my videos up and have some way that people can study without having to come every week to private lessons. So describe the uh, the process, of, uh, how it goes together. What, 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 yeah. you yeah. become a member. So let's talk about what it is. I talked about how I got there. So anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. this time last year, I made the decision to put all guns toward this thing that I'm calling Tim's Mando Lessons, timsmandolessons.com. And it's a membership site where you get access to every single video, the whole archive of everything. You know, there's, uh, I'm right now developing, I'm trying to get it done by September, the program, like book one, book two, book three, for a total beginner to come in, or an intermediate person who's done the bluegrass style education where you don't learn notation and theory. Um, just a way to come through and get yourself up to speed in three books on what I learned from Mrs. Spencer, honestly, just music, like how to read music and, you know, the rhythmic um, system and the pitch system, just knowing your scales and knowing how rhythm works and how we talk about it. Um, so these are two things that are in severe disrepair out there amongst my competitors. There's not a real path and there's not a real explanation of these two fundamentals. And they're the two fundamentals that were frustrating to me over and over and to students because a student would come being really good at bluegrass, like really good, um, didn't know how to read music, but like great technique, great everything, and figured that now they can just, you know, have 
step on to swing or shoro. And I'd be like, all right, sure, no problem. And we'd eventually always get into trouble because my language didn't match their language. They'd be missing out a lot of foundation of what I was talking about. So, uh, yeah, so now there's a way I can say, look, you need to go to this part of the site because you're missing this, or you need to go read music. So there's a whole course on how to read just the notes, the notation, the pitch. Um, where was I going? Sorry, what was the question? We're just talking about your site. Yeah, so anyway, the setup, let's go, let's go back a little bit. So what I've made is an online uh, mandolin school called timsmandolessons.com, and I sell one thing. It's just annual membership. So my members pay $3.97 for the year, and they get access for 365 days, 24-7. Um, I also do a weekly live class that Richard was talking about earlier. Um, so that was originally designed as a Q&A, and it still is. So the idea was everyone's working on the same stuff, you know, or did various things on the website. And every week when they have a list of questions from their work that week, they can ask and clear things up. And so it is that. People play sometimes, and I give feedback. Uh, I also present something every week, something from the site, a fun song or a cool uh, theory lesson that I think people should know about. And it's social. There was about 12, 13 people there last night, I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So this is new. I'm up to 42 members, which is awesome. And I'm calling them my founding members because some of them got in when there was only about 50 videos up. And uh, so, you know, I'm sure if you've looked around, I have eight genre sections now uh swing irish bluegrass klezmer brazil um solo arrangements i know there's one other so those um genre ones my goal is to have 10 songs uh, and each song has about three videos like the demonstration the teaching and then a play along um the shoro ones are going to have more i'm going to teach each part one at a time the shoro has three sections so and each one's pretty involved so i, I need to make three separate videos for shoro so if you go like the Irish or sorry, bluegrass and swing are totally done. There's 10 songs, totally finished. Shoro, I need to, you know, I need to get on it. There's some gaps. I've, you know, I have about 15 different things on the website, theory, picking, accompaniment, uh, the less of the book, the main, you know, one, two, and three of how to get started, all the genres. So it's like a whole lot of stuff that I've got on the burners cooking. But it's good. I'm up to 250 now. I'm going to have 300 hopefully by the end of September. And yeah, I've prioritized the right stuff. So, you know, I folks come in and want to just do Shoro, say there's only about three tunes up right now for Shoro, but there's seven that are coming really soon. Um, and there's also like, if you are going to learn Shoro and you haven't learned to read music yet, then you really need to spend a few months on book two and learn to read music. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that. I, I, it, it just the whole concept of of presenting it, and especially with the fundamentals. Yeah, that's you know, uh, that's really philosophically important to me, and I'm going to lose money on this. It's capitalism rewards people who offer a quick fix to students. It's true. Yeah. Why there's so hard to find people teaching notation for mandolin right now because it's yeah. just too easy, and. Um, so yeah, and I was trying to compete with that. I'm taking internet marketing courses and you know, you have to offer people something easy. You can't tell them that it's going to take years and years. <laughs> and, um, and honestly, like it's, I might really go under financially by, I don't know if I've made it clear, but there's no tablature on this website. Um, if you're learning about theory, there's plenty of places, in the courses in the beginning course, there's not one bit of tablature. Um, 
I still have them up for the bluegrass tunes and the swing, the simple swing tunes and the Irish tunes, the tablature. But other than that, um, I'm going to end up taking down any tablature. It's just not fair to a student to teach them Shoro and try to learn Shoro if you don't know standard notation. It's the tablature does not tell you what's going on. You have to learn your scales, your arpeggios. It's like it. It's like I don't know what. Try to, you know, do serious work in a cave with no lights or something. There's... Well, you kind of said it. You kind of said it's kind of stern. It, it was a stern teacher, and it is. It's a stern. It's a stern. Yeah, well, I don't want to be I want it to be fun, but what I don't want to do is say, hey, everybody, it's just this easy. This is a G chord because there's you can learn that for free. There's there's it's so easy to teach that. And there's, you know, great free resources. There's really great cheap, you know, online resources for that. Just, you know, models like mine. Uh, but all of them get you to a point where you've learned a whole lot of songs where you haven't thought seriously about how rhythm works and yeah, where, yeah. where all of those notes land in a measure. And of course, you don't know the scale system where we get our chords from. So, well, that, yeah, I think that a lot of those systems kind of teach you a corner uh, is, is the best way I could describe it. Because, you know, when Richard first mentioned that, you know, he was taking these classes with you and that there wasn't any tablature that, you know, was all reading music, I'm realizing, well, yeah, you know, if I had taken the time to really apply reading music to the guitar, I'd be a lot better off because I know how to read tab relatively well and I sure know how to recognize chord charts. Mm -hmm. But you have a piece of music in front of me and despite years of having to read music for singing and piano playing, I don't know how to approach it to my instrument. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never taken the time to cross that line between those two things. I've never needed to, but yeah, like I said, those those techniques teach you into a corner and then you yeah. got to back out of that. I get the corner now, right, cool, yeah. Yeah, I, it's not a happy thing to do or to even think about. I mean, it, it's almost more intimidating to think about backing out of that and trying to, to find that other direction Right, uh, right. Yeah, I think there is that sunk cost fallacy pops up when folks who've learned tablature for a long time think mm -hmm. about reading music and they think, but I've put so much time into this. Um, I'm, I'm only trying this out. And I mean, talk to me in a year. If I'm starving with this, you know, this, I don't want to have no memory. Well, but I might add a tablature thing to get folks into it. I was going to say, it, it, even if you're starving, it doesn't mean you're wrong. Oh yeah, but uh, I, you know, the rest I'm, of the world hasn't caught up to you. Oh no, I, I know. I'm, I'm making something of integrity. That's I had to. I really flirted with doing the really, you know, copying banjo Ben, like putting very easy things to get folks ready for the bluegrass jam. Banjo Ben, by the way, highest respect for this guy. I mean, he's a marketing genius. Um, he's got a, I don't know how many figures. I'm guessing eight figure business. This guy, uh, Banjo Ben Clark. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's, it's I, 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 and, um, I and he's that. actually I've researched. He's the most organized guy out there. If you want to do the tablature thing, I think he's yeah. got a great. He's very organized. It's really clear. Um, but well, for me personally, most of my students come to me because they've gotten a certain way with that system. They want to learn really music. They want to understand music theory. They want to improvise. They want to be able to play at the jam and like take a solo. Um, some want to do Shoro or the solo arrangements. And I've spent 20 years trying to do it without teaching them, without making them learn the fundamentals. 
and it just doesn't work. It's it's not it's not. A, I don't know how to do it anyway. I don't think there's a pathway. Yeah, I I, I, just, I, I can't do it. I can't like see a C major chord in the melody of the Shoro and see the C chord symbol right above it and not mention like, look, those notes are just your C major chord. And then if the student doesn't know that, then that's that's a you know that's a divide. So this is my attempt to give these students what they really want, but you know, just a, a pathway at least. So it's yeah. not just like coming to lessons every week and trying to struggle through. Um, well, I, 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 it's I, I, hard to sell at private lessons. For private lessons, it's tough. I've lost some students who said, I just want to learn Shoro. I'm like, well, do you know how to read music? No. And well, uh -huh. and like, you know, if you're really going to do it, and at this point I do, I say, I can't teach you Shoro. I, we need to learn how to read music first. And then you lose them. That's, that's they're gone. Uh, well, sometimes. sometimes. It, so it's a question sometimes of it may not be what people want or think they want, right. but it's what they need. Yeah. And I'm going to sell them what they want. I mean, people want to be able to play fluently and take us to like understand the chords and be able to take a real solo. I am definitely selling them that they can do that. Um, right. They're probably not going to get is a quick fix if they haven't taken time to learn the notation system and think about counting. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I just, I, it, it, it just such, it's such a universal, your, your, your three book thing, it's just such a universal thing. It just applies to so much stuff. I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at it on, on, on my Dobro, you know, I mean, all of a sudden I'm going, oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the that? same system. What are you thinking here? Yeah. Yeah. What are you thinking here? You know, and really like the students who haven't read for so long, like Tad said, it becomes a, you know, a block, like you're scared of it. Um, I just, when I, just from teaching and really focusing on it this past year, like full time, um, people have abilities to hear and sing stuff that's written down that they don't even know. I mean, they're struggling over this, trying to read notation, but they actually know what it sounds like. And that's where the singing comes in. Just getting someone to be able to say, bop, 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 and know what that is. One, two, ready, go. Ba, 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 which we all can do. I mean, I taught kids this way for years and very young children can get a rhythmic loop going like with no problem. Really young children can get pickups of, song, of songs. You know, pickups of songs are tricky. This land is your, when I'm counting that, one, two, three, this land, is. they have to know when to say this. And honest to God, every group of kids from five on, you know, to 95, Everyone can do this. We can all hear pickups and quickly learn them and be able to do them dependently. With our mouth, it yeah. gets tricky when we have this notation and all this stuff. There's too much going on. So I'm really trying to get in the system. I have the three books and all, but like the system is going to be a system, first of all, of rhythmic uh, phrases that they know. Dot, dot, dot. You know how to do that. Okay. So let's learn how to just say it first. And I'm probably going to have about eight basic rhythm exercises that are counted up, matched up, because these are the fundamentals. Most teachers say, here's this song, and then here's this song. And every single song is like they're, they're using these same fundamentals. It's like teaching someone, like, let's, let's read Huckleberry Finn or let's write an essay. Yeah. And they don't know the words yet and how and is A-N-D, but it's just good old and, you know. T-H-E is just the, we know the, but so I, you know, I'm trying to make this analogy between literacy. 
people are way better musicians than they think. They know much more about the musical notation system than they think. It's all pre-programmed just from listening to music and singing music. Um, I, I, I wish you all the, the luck with it. Yeah, it yeah, it's just such a fascinating, it, it, you know, anytime you're ahead of the curve, you know, well, you're, I probably, sure yeah, you're, you're I, probably like, going to a little bit of worries about this, but you're, you're going to take some different, but I don't know, man, I've, I've dealt enough, like people really, really want to do this. And it's just when there's not a clear path, that's all. Yeah, it, it was it was completely clear. The clear path, people are going to be able to do this thing, and I do have. It's going to be a niche. It's not. I'm not going to be snagging all of the folks who just want to go to bluegrass jam, um, beginners who just got a mandolin and want to try it out. I hope I will eventually, but my current crop is certainly beginners who don't want to do bluegrass, who definitely are want to really learn music. Um, I have some parents that that do this. They you know they want their kid to really learn, have music lessons, not do this like just learn some chords and. You know, most people just want their kid to have some fun these days. But, uh, you know, there's people who really do want music education for their children, which is everywhere on violin. It's hard to find a, you know, folk violin teacher. You get Suzuki method, piano lessons. It's, you know, almost universal. You teach them notation, take piano lesson at age six. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's all. It's just offering for mandolin what's there, what we do for our children when they learn with uh, yeah, what else? I wrote a bunch of stuff down about Tim's band lessons, then I got got going there. Yeah, so the main message message is I, you know, if you're looking to join, I want you to join, and I'm just so excited that Richard joined uh, this week, and I got to see him at the meeting. So all those folks out there who are shy about calling me, don't be shy. I really need members now. I'm working full time at this, and the marketing thing is a drag. I definitely have to get out, send emails, call people, ask students. Uh, if you want to join, I am teaching my butt off right now. And it's, you can certainly do private lessons, but you might find you don't have to do too many private lessons. I think that was what was so attractive to me is that there was a plan in front of me. You know, when we first opened up the conversation, it was like, well, I'm not really sure what I want to learn. I guess what I want to learn is I want to learn some techniques and I want to learn some routines and I want to learn some practice and I want to, and you know, I didn't come out and say I wanted to learn to read music, but I should have. <laughs> you know, yeah. right, 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 right up on top. And and then you said, well, I'm not really doing this. Well, I am doing it, but I'm kind of not doing it. But I really go t- go take a look at the site. And I I think I signed up ten minutes after I was into it. I mean, it was just like, oh yeah, I oh there's there's a plan here. Yeah, yeah. There's it's a plan here. Beginning. It's going to keep getting more and more. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's more just walls of access. Like, okay, you want to learn advanced jazz theory? Cool. Um, you got to do the triads class first. If you want to do triads? You don't know how to read music? Just go back, figure out notation, so you know what we're talking about, what a scale is, what one three five is. And so I'm trying to get it so there's assessments or something where you can test out certain things. Yeah, it's, it's really organic. Don't it, enter here until you can poke around, look at it, but don't really try to do this course because then I can teach like me. I, and whereas with advanced classes, I've still like with my 20 years of dealing with the tablature thing, um, I still don't really teach the advanced stuff completely in musical language. I talk, you know, grids and frets. I'm trying to, it's just a habit at this point. So, and that's not the way you should teach advanced. I have advanced students that know how to read music only. And, you know, 
they're well able. That's all they know. They don't want to hear about shapes and grids. It's funny. Yes. I love when I get the stream students. I have some classical violinists, um, like professional working classical violinists who obviously like crazy good, know everything. They know every arpeggio, but they haven't really thought about how they all fit together theory-wise. Hmm. And so those students definitely don't, they don't use the grid at all. They have a hard time with these chord diagrams that Tad is so used to. And I'm, you know, we're all used to these things, but classical violin players, they need the notes. They need to see the two notes written out. The thing that terrifies, you know, mandolin and guitar students <laughs> when you see a chord written out on the treble clef. No! Yeah, that's what makes sense to those folks. And, you know, that still scares me to see that. I don't typically like read that type of music, like chords, but, you know, really, honestly, once I get used to it, it's just the four, you can see it. It's four things on a stick. So there's the G string, there's the D string, A and E. Um, yeah, but it's, it's a skill. That's what I think the point is. You can't just dip into reading music. It becomes no. the way every single piece of repertoire from like old Joe Clark, all the way up to like, you know, Coltrane tunes, like that's how you understand the tune through the lens of theory, through what our ears hear anyway, everyone can hear one. If you teach five and one to a group of people, non-musicians, mm. everyone knows what one is because it's the thing when the song sounds done. Well, and that's the thing that's really amazing about music is, is if you learn that language, you learn the language of music, you can put a hundred musicians who, none of whom speak the same language and put a piece of music in front of them and they all know exactly what it's about. Right. Um, yeah. That's, that's the part of it that, you know, you realize when you're talking all these different styles of music, there is still a standard language that if you know that basic language, the style is just the accents and the the, the idiosyncrasies and, and you know whatever else you know you you may not you may not fool a, a, a Parisian into thinking that you uh, know French fluently, but you know enough to be able to get what you need across. Mm -hmm. uh, and the rest of it is just a matter of finesse and, and time. Yeah, um, the idiosyncrasies are no messing around. Um, that's why I yeah. don't consider myself a bluegrass player. I've never studied. There's more right. to it than that. I know it's simple to map out for a beginner going to the jam, but there's so much more going on in bluegrass. Yeah. It's not just simple rhythms. And, yeah. you know, it's not, it's using the classical system. You know, it's always right. in a key. You're never like atonal in bluegrass, but after yeah. that there's a lot of stuff that classical music can't possibly write down and figure out for you like the notation so you have to go listen to recordings meet people and learn those quirks and i haven't done that for bluegrass at all really just little bits you know <clears throat> so hoping that there are enough people out there who aren't demanding instant gratification for you to uh, do well yeah. with it yeah i think they're out there i know they're out there um it's yeah. just and this is a way where they don't have to come every week and wonder um it's also where all the materials are on in one place in my research i've just been living in this world of internet marketing of guitar and mandolin uh, and there's if you really are just grabbing whatever's out there the free stuff the maybe even join banjo band for a month or something if you're just grabbing this and that and no one's giving you training in music you know it's gonna get really confusing and it's gonna get baffling um, i know this from students and people i meet um it's there's too much and it's yeah. just so i think it's really good to get one plan i mean when i took piano lessons i had one teacher who gave me a curated set of books and theory lessons 
I wasn't going on the internet and grabbing this and that and coming to her and asking her crazy questions about something I really didn't understand. Right. Put my trust in her and she taught a system and was really good at it and made sure I learned A before I learned B and so on. Yeah, yeah. It, it, he liked right, what I'm trying to offer. Every every piece of music I write is matching my system. I write easy charts that use like only what you've learned so far so that you can like work your way up. If you could imagine trying to learn math on the internet where, oh, here's a lesson in uh, long division and, oh, wait, here's a thing in statistical analysis, you know? Right. Just... Yeah, yeah. Well, I should ask my teacher about that. So, yeah, I've gotten that. What I noticed with the YouTube thing is suddenly everyone who was coming in was an expert. Yeah. Students, students, new students, again, they're an expert on this and this and this and this. And then, but they have not really, they think they're an expert and they're not ready to say like, okay, you want to do what I do, but the sad truth is too sad to, you know, put in marketing language, but it's not yeah. sad though. I, I've loved learning music. And when you really are studying something that makes like, these are people who really know what this sounds like, really know what a good solo sounds like when, you know, their hero takes one on stage. You know, they've got very sophisticated ears. And right. so this is just a way of saying, look, you can do this, man. Like, this is the reason those solos sound cooler, because we know this musical system. Well, I, it. <laughs> it, it, it I, think, I think this has been amazing. I mean, um, but Richard, I think uh, I think if we're going to go further, we're going to have to just schedule another podcast with this gentleman <laughs> at some point yeah. in the future, you know. Yeah, Maybe. Man. This has been a blast, you guys. Thank you. Yeah, yeah everyone for listening too. I, I yeah. think I think it's I think it's just so incredible that that yeah. that it's what you're teaching is is focused. Yeah. Versus, you know, I mean, that's something that yeah. really really knocks people off when they're YouTubing it because they all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I don't want to learn another song. You know, yeah, okay, I can learn that, but it's like where you know the thrill is gone, kind of kind of thing, and where, right. where is that? But but if it's focused like this, there's achievable goals. Right. I mean, yeah. you can really see your progress, and yeah, you don't that's pick, what you people don't... want. That's what people need and when you're doing the YouTube thing and just grabbing this and that. It's all too overwhelming, and it's well, it's just too, too it just becomes a chore, like a list of chores almost. Yeah, it's but it, but, but there's no focus to it. Yeah. It's just like and a people big need to know that blurry thing. Now they learn this, and when they get to here, they're like, "Oh my gosh, I would not understand this if I hadn't gone through these." I like, learned this, I, I so see I can get setting now. Yeah, and the cool thing with the site, there's nothing blocked. You can go and look at the most advanced lessons. You can do them if you want. There's no like, you know, wall. I'm gonna start putting advice, like, "Hey, before you do this lesson, you gotta make sure you do this and have don't, links." Yeah. And such. So don't it's, swim it's all evolving. It's gonna get better and better. Yeah, but this yeah, is a this is what we need. I wouldn't feel good if I just had a site that was a dumping ground of a bunch of stuff with no direction. And that's why the weekly thing, too. This is like the one thing I'm doing that's, you know, time every week uh, that with this model. But it's good because assuming I don't get like to a thousand members, you know, <laughs> anywhere under a hundred at one of these Zooms is cool with the chat and the Q&A. Everyone can see the questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've been incredible model. I don't all this business stuff. I swear, I have never done business stuff until this year, and it's a whole other world of language and the way you have to sell this stuff. But it's it's also sensible. I mean, scalable model makes sense. The way I was teaching was not scalable. I had to, you know, hustle to get students to make enough money each week. Awesome. Yeah. Tad, I, I I just can't thank him enough 
Man, you yeah. got to This was a blast. It was so good to see you, Tad, by the way. Great to be yeah. in touch with you weekly now, Richard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll get tired of that. We, um, we, we will be talking uh, soon again, I hope. Uh, we've got to get you down to the Bay Area for uh, both work and fun. That would be really cool. I'll give you an email or call. Or something. Yeah, you guys. We were just you, get, you guys can can uh, we'll we'll close this out, and you guys can stay on the line. Here oh, cool! And, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And, and, and thanks so much, everyone, it. for listening. Thanks to Richard and Tad. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Uh, we'll yeah. see you with thirty-two. Cool. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. For more music-related fun, please join the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at. SCGCPF or Santa Cruz Guitar Players.com. If you have any questions or possible podcast topics, please contact us. If you have a product or service that you feel would be of value to our listeners, please consider adding your support and keeping the coffee pot on. Contact us for more information. We ask that you hit the like, follow, bell, or bookmark buttons so we can keep you informed of upcoming podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Now it's time to go play your guitar.